Hi, Kelly Cunningham Sipos here with my podcast, My Child Left Home for Heaven. This podcast is devoted to discussions on how to find joy through the darkest days a parent could face, the loss of their child. Join me as we dive into conversations on grief that many would avoid, but that myself as a grieving mother feel we need to discuss and share together to be able to heal and find joy again in this life. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of My Child Left Home for Heaven. We are really getting into some um, topics that I see a lot of people wanting to discuss. And you know, last the last episode, I kind of talked about uh, we were gonna bring Natalie back in and we were going to talk to her and I was gonna have you guys write in some, you know, send in some questions, email me some that you'd like me to ask her. This episode, we're just gonna start out with talking about her book, which is Grieving Parents, Surviving Loss as a Couple. And I told you in the last podcast also, if you are in a relationship with anyone, if you have a partner that you're going through this grief process with, this is a must read. Um, I just told Natalie as we were talking before we are ready to record here, kudos because this book is phenomenal. I really, um, I wish I could win the lottery and put it in every single person's hands right now because it's a great, great book. So first of all, welcome Natalie. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, I have a feeling we're going to have you back many times because, like I said, this is a subject that really needs um, a lot of a lot of discussion. So we're going to start out by talking about her book some. Then Natalie's going to get in and she's going to, um, for right now, just say some of the questions she gets asked the most. So bear with me. It's I know it's like you know afternoon for her in Switzerland right now, and it's nine oh nine in the morning here, and I should be awake and ready to go. But I'm just not a morning person, and I'm still a little bit foggy from working late last night. So um, if I stumble, I've already warned her. If I stumble a little bit, she's just going to take the reins and uh, and go with it. So Natalie, um, first of all, why don't you tell us why you why you did this book? So the reason why I did this book was because actually one person in my grieving journey made the comment, "Why don't you write a book about it?" And I. I mean, I told the story before, and I never had the dream of writing a book. This wasn't one of my goals in life, but that comment stayed with me. And I thought, what would I write about? And then in the process of learning how to write a book, because I didn't know how to write a book, um, one of the things you, you think about is who are you writing for and who's your target audience? And having been in a relationship and therapist before for the, for the past 10 years, before I sort of transitioned more into grief and relationship, even though grief, a relationship was also about separation and divorce a lot of the times, I thought, okay, this is, this is really that something that interests me, the couple's relationship after a loss and how do they manage, how do they deal with it and how do they survive? And what came out of my preparation for the book was actually First of all, I interviewed 20 individuals or couples who had lost a child, but I also surveyed um, my network of grieving parents. And so about 100, 100 plus 
people responded to the survey and I asked them what actually helped you during the grieving process? How did you deal with each other? What was unhelpful? And so I learned a lot from talking to people. And um, it really brought, it really boiled it down to three main things. One of them was understanding your own grief. Um, the second one was accepting, first of all, your own grief, your own way of grieving. But then also from the understanding of your own grief, which will allow you to understand hopefully how the other person is grieving and then to accept the other person's way of grieving and then to allow those differences is the third one. Now, this sounds like a pretty simple recipe. Um, however, in life, even if we were to take loss away, we know as in relationship, whether that is to your partner or, or in life general, it is difficult to um, understand someone else's way of doing things. So if we just take a, a normal example, we wonder sometimes, why is this person not getting it? Why is this person not doing it the way I do it? It's a fairly common um, thought that we have on a regular basis. So when a couple is faced with a loss of their child, um, the difference to many other stressors that a couple have is that they deal with the same stressor they deal with the stress or trauma, let's call it this way, their child. So it's the same, apparently the same relationship. It's both of their children, their child who dies. But then there's a lot of um, expectations that go in that sameness, this apparent sameness. Um, and often people think, well, it's the same. Why don't you feel the same? Why don't you express the same? Why isn't it this the same? Why don't you see it the same way? And so because this is also a traumatic incident, we are not as resilient as normally in life. So as I said, if, if you think about normal challenges that you have where someone else does it in a different way, even there sometimes we struggle to accept, okay, other people do it in a different way. But then if you have a trauma, this should be fairly obvious that even, especially then when there's a traumatic incident, it's even more difficult to understand or accept the other person is doing it the other way. There's also a preconceived idea that the way I'm doing it is the best or is the most helpful. And this is because we have been um, experiencing that as being good or we have learned that as to be the right way. And therefore we think our partner should do it the same way. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can relate to, to that as well, talking to, to your groups. And so given that there's so many differences in grieving and specifically in male and female grieving, um, it, it becomes fairly obvious that this is a disaster, <laughs> disaster in the making because we have expectations of sameness where there's more likely to be differences than sameness. And, you know, I had an interesting comment of one of my friends reading the book who has not experienced child loss, but given she was a good, she's a good friend of mine, she read the book and she said, Natalie, you know, your book is actually about relationship. It's not, it's not because of a loss, but this taught me a lot about relationship. And it is. I mean, first of all, it, it is specifically on loss, but understanding yourself and how you deal with things and then having the awareness of the other person's way of dealing with things and then seeing the samenesses or the differences and then dealing with that is a, is a general theme in relationship anyway. 
And then specifically when we're dealing with the loss, it becomes heightened because we are now um, pulled back. We are now at rock bottom, early grief, and we have to deal with ourselves first to be able to um, survive the death of our child. We have to go through places or travel through spaces in time and in, in, in space that we have never been. This is not something that we have, or most people haven't actually experienced that as part of their family history. I mean, I have some people who said, yes, my mother lost a child, but then it's also seen or experienced from the position or the perspective of a child and seeing their mother and never as an adult experiencing that firsthand. You know, like relationship um, breakups, we, we usually have experience of that in our adult life. It's not, not, oft, not seldom that we have this multiple times. So we get it sort of an experience, but the loss of a child, when it hits us the first time, it's never like a trial period. It's not like we're teenagers and we're experiencing it and we're playing with it, playing or experience breakup. This is like full on. It's like there's no, um, there's no practicing it. Exactly. I mean, I did my, my mother, you know, I lost my sister when she was 45. So I watched my mother grieve my sister and then got very upset with myself when I lost Emily because I kept thinking, how could my mom hold it together as well as she was? And I mean, especially considering that only a year before my father had committed suicide. So she had just dealt with that, then dealt with my sister. And yet she seemed like she was handling everything, you know, so perfect. And I, I sat down and had a you know, long talk with her and, and tried to understand. I'm like, mom, how come you could handle this? And I can't, I just keep seeming to fall apart. Then that's when she told me from the outside, Kelly, people that don't know you think you have it together also. But she knew because of being close to me that I was falling apart. I wasn't around or she was in Ohio and I was down here in Florida. So I didn't see what she was dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, so again, I mean, I had that, okay, this is how you're supposed to deal with the loss of a child. But yet I didn't because I was trying to compare myself constantly to how my, you know, how my mom dealt with it. So I don't know, do we do that in relationships, you know? I look at my husband, I'm with him every single day. I see the way that he's dealing with it, but I don't truly know inwardly how he's dealing with it. You know, we don't show, we don't show it to people. Exactly, you make such an important point because this kind of experience that you're describing with your mother, this is how we learned, this is how you deal with grief. So we have learned, okay, people are, one example, being strong or not crying or, I mean, other cultures might be have seen, okay, you have to cry a lot, like more Southern European country I'm thinking of. There's more of this lamenting. So it depends on what we have learned and what we see, what we think this is the way you do it. This right. gets the comparison to how we deal ourselves. Now, in terms of in close relation with the partner, um, as you were saying, it, it really depends on how transparent a person in themselves is and allowing them allows themselves to be what i mean by that is some people are very private even in intimate relationship they might have learned that showing emotions is not what you do or for example i just learned for myself in in therapy that um, my own pain i have learned to not bring it out to the open 
Now I thought that's strange because I'm, I'm quite happy to show tears and to be emotional, but to a certain degree, my education from my parents has been deal with it on your own. And so this is what I bring to the general public, not to my close circle, but to the general public. And that obviously influences a person's way of dealing with it, doing it in my own, in my own room. And this is one of the main grief myths. Grief alone is one of the five most um, strongest grief myths. And people then assume, oh, well, she needs time alone, when that might not be actually the truth. But this is how we, how we have learned to deal with it or how we have seen it as an example. Um, and I think in relationship, what comes with it as well is the, the roles that we have been taking on over the course of the relationship already. So usually there is one person who is the caretaker or the keeping it together. And the other person might be more, um, on a general sense, maybe allowing themselves to fall apart and be taken care of. But those roles switch periodically too, don't they? Yeah, yeah they I've do. Watched that, you know, my husband and I will have different times, and I'm I'm like going back to in the you know those first few weeks and and you know preparing for the funeral and everything. We switch those positions quite a bit. I noticed. In in a good situation, that would be the 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 perfect solution. Where and this is normally in a relationship when you think about is, for example, he loses his job. Then the other person, the partner, or it doesn't have to be she or he. So we can right. actually exchange um, um, personal That's pronouns. why I say just partner, right? Yeah. Okay. So one partner loses their job. The other person, person doesn't. So they are there now to support. They're able because they don't have this tragic thing happen and they are there to support. Um, or then vice versa. Um, one partner um, has a big um, fight with their best girlfriend and they bring it to the relationship and they really have to struggle with that. And then the other partner is there. Now, when a, a couple loses their child, there's something so tremendous. First of all, it's bigger than any job loss or any breakup with a girlfriend or, or partner or boyfriend or, or friend. Right. First of all, it's, it's bigger than that or more significant, but also it happens at the same time. And that challenges a couple significantly because then it's like, um, we are both dealing with this at the same time. So are we both falling apart or not? And in an ideal situation, you would do that alternating. That would be sort of the ideal thing, but that doesn't just really happen because you can't really fall apart on, on cue. It's your time and it's your time. Exactly. Or also some, um, some people just um, keep it together because they see the other person is really struggling. So in my case, the father of my child, um, he was um, being looking after me. Okay, in my case also, I was giving birth to twins and then the younger one died. So I was also having just to learn how to be a young mother because normally in crisis, I keep it together. I'm really structured. But then, then there was so much going on, I couldn't. So he was really there caretaking. Um, luckily, we had a lot of friends and family around us who were also supporting us through that. So at times, for example, he could lean on someone else and them helping him to do just simple things. Um, but I think this sort of texture also the, the situation that if 
one partner never really has or doesn't have enough place to do whatever they're doing. It doesn't have to be falling apart because traditionally male grieving doesn't really fall apart in the same way as, as female grieving. And when I say male and female grieving, I don't mean men and women specifically, but it's more, it's called female grieving. It's more the emotional, the expression, the tears. And the masculine grieving is more the cognitive um, approach to grieving, doing something. So what I'm saying is that not necessarily a man needs to be doing or is required or is expected to be grieving in the male way. For example, I had a couple who actually did it the opposite way. Yeah, I've seen couples that it's the opposite way. The male yeah, is grieving yeah. the female role and the female is grieving the male role. I've, I've seen exactly. that in, in friends. Yeah. So you, we do a, we, uh, you do a quote. Um, I want I want to get into these five steps of, of to survive your loss as a couple. Yes. And you give a wonderful quote. It says the journey of a grieving person isn't so much about what you go through on a daily basis, but who you become in the process of continuing your life without your child. And I, I think that people don't realize you have that initial shock of the grief and, and surviving as a couple, you know, to get through that, say, even for, you know, say first year, but it is a real process to realize living my life, the rest of my life with my husband, without our oldest child. It has changed our relationship completely. And it's, I maybe it's especially because of being the oldest child. I mean, is that, is that typical or, I mean, explain that quote, explain what you wrote there. Well, this is my personal belief, but I think that um, the loss or the death of a child or the death of anyone, but specifically of a child, is something that really changes a person's psyche. Because there's something significant about that, that a child dies before the parent, first of all, the timeliness, and then the significance it has of for a parent to be without a child. And as you were mentioning in terms of the relationship, what does the relationship mean um, how does he process the grief? How does she process the grief? What, does, what is the expectation of each other? There's so much that goes into, that has a reflection back on the, on the relationship. And so my personal belief is that there is, there is something that happens, like there is like an alchemy of that grieving that brings out a different person. What I mean that, but I'm just taking my personal example. I am not the person that I was before. Um, one part of that, for example, I, I say that in my book, I'm not as socially um, digestible as I was before. I mean, I, I've been sort of the nice person before and, and would avoid um, saying what I thought because of not upsetting someone. Whereas after my loss, um, I was more honest and I would say, no, I don't like that. So, I mean, this is just an example of how I changed, but I could also tell from the relationship that I had with friends prior who knew me prior and who had expectation or saw me in the way that I was before. And then afterwards, some people could not relate to me anymore. I found that quite surprising um, because I didn't, at first, I didn't notice it so much or it was, I wasn't so much aware of it. However, um, in the book, Grieving Parents, I write actually, and this is good to have a, to have a, 
a testament of the time quite close to the to the death of my child because I can go back and say oh my god this is really what I thought and even just a year later I translated this book into German and when I translated it verbatim I would say I, I wouldn't say it like that a year later so it already changed mm -hmm. but that thing that I wrote there is 18 months after the loss of Maya I said to my husband you know you have to chance or you have the possibility to walk away any moment i am stuck with myself and what that that symbolism is in that sentence is that i was so um, frustrated and angry at times and so at odds with myself of who i was and who i became and what i had to go through at times i couldn't stand myself with the feelings that i had that i previously didn't have and the, and the the challenges that I had to go through. So my, my, my child died and four and a half months later, my mom died from suicide. But there was, there was complexity in my grief that made me really angry. And I guess also from the situation that I just described, my, my husband would then have probably thought, okay, well, she probably has it much tougher than I do. I'm here to support her. And um, yeah, I said, I'm stuck with myself. I have to, I have to get along. But in that, when I look back now, and this is, you know, I want to put the caveat on me as a, as a grief specialist or an expert on grief. I'm not. I'm just the same as everyone else listening here. The, exactly. only, difference is, the only difference is that I have 10 years of experience. And in those 10 years, just like you, I have extensively given myself to the topic of grief and parental loss um, to the point of having written six books. So, so my, my experience is only because of, it's only different from whoever you are listening to this because of the length that I have been traveling through or pilgriming with that and the, the intensity I have spent researching it and talking to people and dealing with people and, and counseling people about that. There's otherwise no difference. I give an example. So I'm 10 years into my grief. So last year in September was the 10th death anniversary of my daughter and 19th of January, the 10th um, anniversary of death of my mother. And this year, um, I've experienced it as quite hard and it has actually astonished me. And I think it's a good example because even with ourselves, we cannot always expect what to come. I have surprised myself at how depressed I felt this year or this time with the 10th anniversary. That Did I you feel like you almost went, were like going backwards again then? I wouldn't call it backwards. It was just a symbolism with that 10th year, I guess, or... Um, in addition to that, it's obviously what happens around that time. So in my, in my case, last year, I went through separation and divorce. Um, I also had my um, cat, which I call my first baby, who died, who I had to put down. And there's, there's a couple of things that came together in the whole pandemic, in the fact that I had um, shortness of breath and, and panic attacks, which I didn't experience before. So, you know, it's a culmination of things. It's not just, I'm not going to say that this is, this is all due to the loss 10, being 10 years ago. That's not the case. I mean, life happens afterwards as well. And there's other significant things that come on top of it.
But still, I mean, I, I have a ritual. I have rituals around um, the death of, of my daughter and my mother. And I, and I use that as a time to mother my child and to um, continue the relationship with mother, my mother. This is, this is what I'm doing. And this is part of what you were saying about the, the five steps, you know. I mean, these, these five steps I put together in the book Grieving Parents because I wanted to um, make something that was showing me the way and what was showing the way that I have had gathered from talking to people and surveying those people that sort of putting together this like sort of in a, in a model. And why don't you explain the five steps? What, what, yeah. what you consider the five different steps? Cause I found them very intriguing. Yeah. So this is basically on my personal experience. It, it's not something that, that I recommend people to say, okay, I have to go through one and then two. Right. Right. It's like with the five stages of grief by Elizabeth Kubler. It's also, it's also not something that she's, um, prescribed I mean grief is very individual and and I like it that way but this has allowed me to understand myself more so the first step is allowing um and if you think about um yourself or the one who's listening to this this is your initial response to the loss of your child I mean raw grief is shock it is being overwhelmed it is not knowing what to do and, and how to deal with the strength of, emo of emotions because we never had this intensity of emotion ever before. Most, I mean, I, I can't compare myself to any electricity um, like um, war or something, but in a Western society, the loss of a child is probably one of the biggest blow, blows in someone's life. And you know, it's, it's like life's energy is used to, to absorb that shock. It's, and this is why often grief of a child is often also trauma. Um, my next book is about grief and trauma, and I'm actually going to dissect those two. And actually, because trauma is like a buzzword, buzzword currently, like in the world. It is. Trauma. Um, but having studied trauma for the last three years, I've studied somatic experience and and developmental trauma norm so I have in-depth an understanding of the differences which also really helped me understanding grief but so this this allowing phase is really the shock phase in a shock trauma so imagine you had a car accident and person is laying there and this is the like the they getting into the reality of okay what just happened and then the second step is when awareness comes in so it's like it comes, there comes an additional perspective of this is what happened. Um, I'm being conscious of what happened. And rather than being numbed out by the intensity of the feeling, something starts to seep in, which is the reality of death. And and in those stages, we don't know how to do it, but we're grieving because we're actually born to do that. It doesn't need to have, um, you don't need to learn how to do it. You're able to do it. You're doing it naturally. It is hard and that's why people want to avoid it, but they're actually capable. Everyone is capable to grieve. And in that awareness phase, we become aware of our experiences like anger, sadness, guilt, anxiety, and 
also while experiencing all those different um, symptoms, as I later then experience, uh, describe in the book, the emotional, the behavior, the cognitive, the spiritual behaviors or symptoms that are part of that suffering. So there comes more of an awareness. And this is where 18 months into the loss, I said to my husband, um, or I realized how angry I was and how annoyed I was with myself of being so angry. And then a bit, little bit further along, as time goes by, um, hopefully we can acknowledge and process the loss and actively try and find ways to, to progress through it. This is when people um, come to or try and find groups on Facebook or on the internet, or they find your podcast. Um, sort of in the awareness phase and in, in the acknowledging phase, that's when they start to say, okay, I want to know more about this. I want to understand myself in this grief. Because really, we have never learned to grieve. This is not something that you learn in school. Um, you might learn by seeing your parents go through the loss of their parents or a friend. But this, it is not something that is being explained to us. And this is also why um, last year I started teaching this course called Understanding of Grief, because I realized this is something so human, so common, but we have never really learned what it is and how it feels and what we experience and what it might be. And then the fourth step is, is called adjusting. That's when um, people start to more to integrate um, their child's memory into their life. Um, grief has become something that is more of a habit or habitual reaction that they know about comes when there's triggers. Um, people are hopefully better able to accept their loss at times, not always, especially when there's strong triggers. Um, people invest more energy into what's called the new normal, the life after the loss. Um, you know, loss becomes then more part of life. And you might have seen those um, memes where there is um, a bottle or like a, a, a container and grief first is a really big black ball. And then with time, you think grief becomes smaller or the loss becomes smaller. But actually it is that your container, your resilience increases. And to me, that memo, that picture is actually a bit difficult because we need to make a differentiation. And that's really important to me between the grief, the grief's pain and the loss. And, and, and I like to make distinction because it's really important for people to understand the death of our child or of the loved one, whoever they lost, is a fact and remains. There's nothing going to change that. And this is what we're dealing with in the process of, um, of grieving, is getting used to the fact that this is a reality. And hopefully, in the fifth step, integrating it into our life. Whereas grief's pain is a process, and that changes. That is not something as fixed as the fact. This is a state over here, the loss. The death of the child is a fact. Whereas the grieving is a process and processes in itself, in, its, in, in their nature, are changing. They don't always stay the same. And so if some people say, I will always grieve for you, 
I, I find that is, is a challenging phrase to say because, well, that, that grief will change over the years. I mean, if I look back over the 10 years, um, my grieving has changed from day to day and it's not the same. The fact that my child is deaf, that remains. And the sadness or the missing has also changed. It doesn't go away, but I am missing her differently now than in the very first days after giving birth. Um, so, I mean, I think that's, that's factual. That's, I mean, that's something that I have experienced. So, and then the fifth step, as I said, is sort of absorbing and integrating that into our life. And the, the idea of that is that um, we can reflect on it. We can reflect on, on the gifts that we have collected along the pilgrimage of grief. We can also have sadness into our life, but it's no longer running our life. Um, and I personally think it's in, integ integration is, is a place where I want to be in most of the time. I won't always be because as I said, 10th anniversary was really hard. And I wasn't really in acceptance and gratitude over what I've learned and, and all this. If I'm really grieving, it's like that, that nonsense that I call. But most of the time it is. It is the, the beauty of it. You know, like, I mean, I have a 10-year-old child who, um, who is the, the twin sister of the child that, I, that, that died. So, I mean, I deal with her. You're a reminder and, constantly. Yes, and, and she is is dealing with whatever that means for her. So it, it, this is not gonna magically go away. She would like to have a sister, sometimes more and sometimes less. Right. Um, but also that changes with her age. Um, you know, I, I had a beautiful metaphor that I, that I came up in another podcast that I made with someone. And I said, you know, grief is like a child. And the first few months, that child completely engulfs you. It, it takes your energy, it sucks on you. You have to be, excuse me, my cat is asking. You have, to, you have to give it your full attention because it's not able to survive without you and vice versa. Right. But with time goes by, that child will start to um, move away from you or be more independent. And the more it grows up, this grief, it always will be a, a part of you, a, a piece of you, always be in relation to you. But now my 10-year-old doesn't need me as she needed me when she was one. Right. She comes back from time to time, and sometimes she's in a crisis, and then she needs me a lot. So my grief then requires a lot from me. And at other times, she's going out on her own, and she's a part of me always but not running my life. Yeah, it makes, I mean, that, yeah that makes sense. Um, and we're getting into so, so many deep things here and that's what's hard. I want everybody to be able to digest all this. So I think we're going to let some of this go until the next time. What I want you to do um, at this point, and I'm just gonna give everyone a teaser as to the part of the book that really hit me, um, or I mean, just it made me really look at myself and my husband 
is the different ways of grieving. And she'll go into more detail as to the emotional, the physical, um, the cognitive reactions, behavioral reactions, spiritual reactions. And that was very, very fascinating for me to read because everybody that I've been around, I could, I could you know, put them into one or two or some into three categories. So that's a little teaser for what we're going to get into next, along with answering um, some questions, hopefully, that everybody has, has uh, emailed in with. But what I want you to do right now is, as you know, we get ready to close this up is going back to talking about, um, you know, husband, wife or wife, wife, husband, husband. You know, I, I try not to, to signal anybody out uh, relationships. What do you think are the the most asked questions that you've been? You know, what what are the, the things that people when they speak to you or come in for, you know, their, their therapy sessions and that ask you the most about the relationship and grieving? So one of the most asked question is, and there's, this is related to um, myth cursing in the net is about, will my relationship survive the death of my child? Um, people have read um, 80, 90% of um Marriages couples. break up. Yep. First they thing I ever up. read too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not so, a good thing to read when you're like, you know, in the beginning stages of your grief going, now I'm going to lose my child and lose my marriage at the same time. Yeah. And this number is, um, it depends on where you look, where you look. But I, when I read, when I wrote the book, Grieving Parents, I only really found one um, survey and this survey at the time was already 10 years old um, that was noted on the internet that was a survey um, surveying specifically um, relationship um, breakup after the death of a child and I would have to look it up to have the right number so I don't want to put out a wrong number but it is definitely higher than the general divorce rate which is about 50% I don't know in, in America but in general it's probably about 50% right so um, it's definitely higher than that. But then the question is to me, would this couple not have separated if they didn't have the loss of a child? Right. Maybe, they were, maybe they were going down that path anyway. So my, my divorce was last year. So that's 10 years after the death of my child. And it's not because of the death of my child. Um, now, in that statistic that... Um, would be made, did you divorce after the loss of your child? Well, I would go, yes, 10 years later, yes. So you're going to be added into that. Just like all these people that are dying of pneumonia or dying of something else and are getting knocked into that COVID uh, count right now. So yeah, exactly. you would fall into that that percentage that they're saying. Exactly. Okay. So you're getting at what I want. And also the thing is, um, you know, my personal belief is that it is not the loss of a child that breaks a marriage apart. It is life. And life after the loss of a child, after the death of a child, is how do I deal with such a traumatic, such an intense thing in myself? And that pulls you back to your bare essentials. And how are you with bare essentials? You're usually not as, I call it socially digestible, than, than you otherwise are. So of course, your relationships, and not just your marital relationship, but your relationships might suffer because you are not being able to, to be in the same way as you normally are. That's to be expected. Um, so, so people ask, will my marriage survive? And I said that really, that really depends on you and your partner. 
That depends what you are willing to do. And that is the same question to that I asked my couples prior to grief. So my relationship customers, I said, well, how much are you willing to put into your relationship? How, how much work are you wanting to put into that ship, that relationship to be sailing smoothly? Because That's exactly because I've had to make it. I mean, to me, marriage is a full time job anyway. You know, I mean, especially like, you know, I've been married 32 years now, you know, with this guy, 42 years. Yeah. His way he breathes some days, you know, gets under my skin. And um, I was already working on, on trying to, you know, keep us happy and keep that relationship together before my child passed away. Afterwards, I mean, it's difficult because you're fighting it even more. I don't exactly. want to be one of the statistics. I want to fight and I want to get through this. And I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, it's, um, it's more than a full-time job now, I guess yeah. is the way is what I could say. And I don't know if others are going through the same experience. That's what I'd like to hear from others out there. You know, how many marriages have really struggled society in general today and the way my husband and I have been, especially the last year, most people would probably walk away and just say, I'm done. I, you know, I can't do this anymore. And it's, it's not, it, it's, he's changed a lot. Um, he's not happy anymore. Like my, my children notice it. He's, um, he just is so, I don't think he's, I don't think he's, and I don't want to say this because that's one of the things you say not to say. I don't feel, but my children feel the same way. He's really accepted the grief. I really truly don't believe he has hit the acceptance point that Emily has gone and truly grieved her. Um, and I don't know if that's what men, you know, some men, well, again, there we go. Some men will, some women will. So maybe that's the difference. I think the day that that family hits, maybe our relationship will come back again and maybe he'll never really accept it. You know, this might be something the way it is the rest of our lives. So um, you got to fight for it though. It's, it's a quadruple job, um, time job now, I think is what yeah, it is. And yeah. if you find that for most couples saying, the same thing that they really are having to work harder at keeping their marriages together. I mean, look, um, people have to work on continuing wanting to live after the loss of a child. Yes. Or they have to work on how do I find meaning again? What's the point of this life? Um, how can this happen to my child in a world like that? There's all these questions that go individually. So then it is no surprise that these kind of doubts in oneself and in meaning. And I mean, this is, these are existential questions that are, that are being raised by the, by the death of a child. So taking them into a relationship, if someone is, is challenged with uh, to find meaning in their own self, in their own life, I mean, this burden on a relationship, this requires a lot of acceptance on both sides to be able to deal with that. So what I would say to people asking me, will my marriage survive? It really depends on how much um, work you're willing to do, how much acceptance you can have and in that. And that is not because of the death of a child. That is in general the question that, that is placed on you. Because any other challenge poses the same question. The only difference is that with the death of a child, you are brought down to rock bottom in yourself and you have to, you struggle with your own self. So, 
you know, have a little bit of grace for yourself and have a little bit of grace for your partner in that, because both of you are back at rock bottom in that moment. And, you know, what you were saying in terms of acceptance of grief, for some people, um, I actually believe it, I would say it's in general, whatever they're doing post the death of a loved one is the best that they can. For some people, avoidance or deflection, or for some people it is full-on grieving for 10, 20 years, or for some people it is um, never talking about that person again, that's the best that they can do. It sounds strange because looking at it from another perspective, we think, well, no, it's not the best that someone can do. Um, but I, I, I believe in, in the intelligence of someone's unconscious to do the best that they can. And I said that to you last time, you know, looking at my dad 10 years post the death of his wife, who he found after she suicided, um, he didn't do any therapy. Um, even though I suggested it strongly, and he yeah, neither did my mom. <laughs> and he agreed with me that he should have, in retrospect. Um, I mean, he's eighty now, and I think what he's what he did in that time to deal with the death of his wife was the best that he could. And part of that, and which he already said on her funeral, is, you know, I cannot stay alone for too long. I want you to know that he prepared me for the next person in his life. And that was part of his dealing with it. And I mean, he has been with his new partner for nine and a half years now. And I'm, I'm grateful for that, for that, for him to be, that it works. And looking at it now, 10 years later, yes, I would have, I would not suggest to anyone, don't do it with support, don't do it with, with some help. But for some people, they can't take that help. They, they can't imagine going to see someone. Um, they can't imagine that this will give them some relief from the grief pain or from the recurring thoughts. And may some people actually do it with friends. Hopefully they have good friends who don't give them these grief myths and feed them all these, this stuff that is actually not helpful. But like for me, I mean, I haven't gone to, I went to one, one therapist and I just felt like she didn't, she didn't understand and I felt like I was telling her about grief. I mean, where I found my my therapy was through doing this podcast, talking to others, and from all the Facebook pages. Yeah. So I think something else going back with the, like you're saying, the stress of going through a Mary, you know, going through the, the grief. I know like in my husband's and my instance, and I mean, a lot of the moms out there who've lost children to drug overdose will have the same thing where, you know, we went through six years of hell with my two daughters and battling their addictions you know, before we lost Emily. And it's the same thing with some of the parents that I talked to who whose child's been terminally ill and they've gone through that. So you're not only, you know, you're not only battling the grief, but you're battling that six years that our marriage was just almost shredded to pieces because of us disagreeing with ways to handle the situation with Emily or Maddie, you know, then going through the stress of Maddie, you know, going to, to, going to jail and, and more than likely to prison at the same time that Emily died. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to lay all this out right now. I'm not wanting somebody to feel sorry for me far from that, but then going through the grief. And now I've turned around and three years, three weeks shy of three years of Emily's loss. My mother, who actually is the one who took care of me most of the time through all my surgeries and was my best friend and my support and who I spoke to, 
had a major stroke. And now I've watched her in the last five months dwindling away to nothing to where I know more than likely about that four-year mark from Emily, I'm going to lose my mom. So my mm -hmm. husband's dealing with that on top of it where, you know, she's in a nursing home. I'm going up there and I'm an emotional mess every time I leave the nursing home. I'm mm -hmm. heading up there shortly and I have to prepare myself. You know, he's dealing with me at night, just venting to him about being the sole caretaker down here to visit my mom. You know, my sister lives in Mississippi. She can't be here all the time. She comes down and gives me that break like every six weeks. I, it, it's, it's major going through this right now. I guess I'm starting to realize what goes on with parents who are waiting for the inevitable, um, mm -hmm. you know, who has a terminally ill child. It really pulls at your marriage. I'm very grateful that my husband, you know, has been my, my emotional support with this, with my mom. Again, I mean, we're, you know, these marriages are getting whacked. We don't just have one simple thing we're dealing with. You know, it's, it's whatever happened possibly before that grief, before that loss. And then afterwards and what life just dumps on us on top of what we've already dealt with. Hmm. I'm really sorry to hear about your mom, Kelly. That's, and that's just an example that, you know, uh, the death of a child doesn't fall into a situation where everything was well and we were happily ever after a loss of a child. The death happens. And if you think about what happened all before, right. And, and all of that is influencing that situation. In your case, you make a, a, a point of having had to deal with her um, addiction and, 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 and. So many things people have been dealing before. For example, some people have been dealing with um, infertility or fertility treatments for years right. until they had that child and then they lose and it. Then lost it, right. Or other people have, I have one client, for example, that said, we didn't even want to get pregnant. And then we got pregnant and then we got, um, oh, do we want to have that child? And then we wanted that child and then it died um, at birth. You know, all these things that happen, it's like the, the bed and, it, and that death of the child comes into whatever that, that those circumstances are. On top of that, each person's relationship with grief and death will influence that moment as well. Each person's dealing with hardship and challenging situation in life will influence that. And this is the like the, the marinade in which you relate as a couple will, will be that in which you deal with this challenge. And I mean, you having said that you've been together 30 plus or having married 30 plus years and been together 40 plus years, did I right. understand yes. that right? Uh -huh. I mean, this already says to me, you have gone through tremendous um, development in life together. Right. Oh, yeah. We were, I was 17. He was 18. We were babies. Exactly. You know, babies so you, when we met. You developed with each other through that life. You also, you also went through a lot of changes and challenges in life before Emily died. And all of that, um, also the, the course at which a relationship goes through, I mean, there's a honeymoon period, and then comes the real relationship that needs to be sailed together. And sometimes one person is at the at the steering wheel and sometimes the other person, but it needs, it needs to be looked after. Otherwise that ship won't sail. Right. And, and the, and the death of a child can be, can wreck that ship because it might just be 
too much to handle for both in a storm. And it's not because people are not good or are not be able to handle. So it just might be for that kind of ship, the way it's built, it might it not can't handle that storm. Exactly. Right. Well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to have to wrap it up because I need to get up and see my mom. <laughs> my poor mother yeah. I get, takes back burner to all this. This has been wonderful, Natalie. Um, go ahead and give your, your um, website and we'll, we'll have this on, the, uh, on, the, uh, on our website, the link to hers. Give your website again for everyone. Okay, so it's Natalie. That's spelled N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E. And then my last name, Himmelrich, it's like H-I-M-M-E-L, which means heaven, actually. And then rich, rich. So it means, Himmelrich means kingdom of heaven. Beautiful. <laughs> so, Himmelrich, so H-I-M-M-E-L and then rich.com. And, that, you know, I look forward to your questions. I really look forward to, because as, as you said, Kelly, we learn the most from each other. And by taking on someone else's perspective or question or challenge, that actually changes the way we see, the way we deal with situations. So it really helps us to, to hear your questions. All right. So everybody, you hear that Natalie and I are asking you to please email me your questions at mychildlefthomeforheaven at gmail.com. And we will come on in a few weeks here. We'll give you a few weeks to put these out and then we will come back on and we will answer these questions and um, hopefully be able to help you and learn something ourselves. Because each time we talk to somebody, like Natalie said, we learn also. So um, we appreciate you listening. Natalie, thank you so very much for um, being on. And needless to say, the next podcast will be us going over these questions and a little bit more in depth to um, the way that we grieve and the different types of grief that we go through as uh, couples and partners. So until next time, this is Kelly out and thank you so much for joining us.